gospel. It's a Bible study Wednesday on this April the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and this is kind of going to be the last Bible study we're going to be doing on Wednesdays in the sense of looking at a Bible passage. But we are still going to be doing a Bible study. I've had a number of requests to talk more about the wonderful principles that CFW Walther spoke about in his Law and Gospel Lectures. So beginning next Wednesday, we're going to start doing that. But it's still going to be about the Bible, but it's just going to be from the point of view of a law and gospel understanding. Now, today, what am I going to be talking about? It's the day before Monday, Thursday. It's the day, two days before Good Friday, and then Easter. One would assume that I'm talking about, well, maybe a passage from the New Testament, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about his crucifixion, his resurrection, or maybe as I did with the Sunday school lesson yesterday on issues, etc., talk about the actual meaning of the resurrection uh, that you can find in 1 Corinthians 15 and elsewhere. But instead, I'm going to talk about an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 53. And I think you're really going to be surprised and astounded how close Isaiah 53 is to the actual historical events and the theological meaning of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. So without further ado, let's begin with chapter 53 of Isaiah, verse 1, where he says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, what is Isaiah talking about? First of all, when he says, who has believed, the Hebrew word for believe there is the one that talks about a believing God, being faithful to the words of God, to be certain of what he has heard. And Isaiah is saying, who can believe what he's going to be hearing from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, the arm there not only could stand in the Hebrew for a forearm, a shoulder, but it also refers to the strength of the arm. That's where a lot of people have their upper body strength in the arm. And who do you think is the arm of the Lord? It'd be none other than Jesus Christ himself. So Isaiah starts right off. Are you going to be able to believe what you're hearing from me And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, that word revealed means to uncover, to remove the mystery. Because what Isaiah is about to talk about 
is a real mystery. Verse 2, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus didn't walk around, folks, with a halo around his head. He wasn't brilliant all the time as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you had seen him, he would have looked like a regular human being. It appears that being handsome wasn't one of his attributes either, because no beauty that we should desire him. So maybe he looked a lot like me or like most people on the earth at this time. And he was a young plant and he was like a root out of the ground. He wasn't a sturdy, deeply rooted tree. One could say he was a weak sapling. See, that's what we're referring to as the humiliation of Jesus Christ. In becoming a human being, he humbled himself and became like any other human being. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected uh, by men, a man of sorrows and accompanied, acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. What is he talking about? If there was anything that we know about Jesus Christ, is in his humiliation, he was despised and rejected by individuals. People would turn his head from them. They did not want to recognize him as God. In fact, they got so angry with what he was saying about forgiveness coming from him, they crucified him. This is what is meant that he was despised and rejected of men. Now remember, Isaiah is writing this hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth as a human being. And so he's talking about the reception that Jesus got from many people, despised and rejected by men. Remember at the cross, the two thieves despised him at the beginning of the crucifixion. The soldiers made fun of him. The chief priests and the Pharisees made fun of him. This is what Isaiah is talking about. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by, smitten by God, and afflicted. What's that talking about? Many people would agree that Jesus had the griefs of a normal human being. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem. He carried our sorrows. Yet, we esteemed him, which means we regarded him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
That's a really important verse. The leading religious leaders at the time of the crucifixion, they thought Jesus was getting what he deserved from God himself. That therefore he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. And of course, that was happening, but not for the reason they thought of. And so Isaiah explains, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Now, the word pierced there can mean he was wounded and reminds us of Genesis 3.15. Yes, he'll crush the head of Satan, but Satan will wound him. And he was wounded for our transgressions. And the word for transgression is just another word for our rebellion against God. Jesus was pierced because of us. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now, the word crush can mean he was bruised, which is also used in Genesis 3.15 about the promise of the coming Messiah. So, he was wounded for our transgressions, and that Hebrew word means our rebellion against God. He was bruised for our iniquities, and that refers to our sin and our guilt that we are accused of, uh, the consequences of the punishment for our sins. Then the chastisement. The, the discipline that brought us peace. And there's that word peace, the peace that the angels told the shepherds, the word peace that Jesus used when he entered on the day of the resurrection into the upper room where the disciples were hiding. Peace be unto you. And with his wounds, and the King James has with his stripes. Of course, that would have been from the whips. We are healed. That word heal means to make healthful, but it also refers to salvation. I mean, did you realize how close Isaiah 53 is to the actual events of the resurrection? Verse 6, and we like sheep have gone, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The word Lord there, by the way, is all capitalized, each letter, and that's Yahweh. That's the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush on Mount Sinai. I am who I am which I like translating, I fulfill what I promise. Moses says, how is this all going to happen? God says, I am who I am. Once I say something, it will take place. And we like sheep have gone astray. Kind of reminds you of uh, Luke 15, Jesus' parable of the lost sheep. Went astray, went his own way. But the Lord came, found the sheep, 
put the sheep on his shoulders and carried him out of the wilderness. And that's what that last phrase is. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. And there again, we have the punishment for our sins to fall on him. We believe, teach, and confess that at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus declared himself to be a sinner. Because John says, boy, I need to be baptized by you, not vice versa. And then Jesus says, no, to fulfill all righteousness. And in Corinthians, God is said to declare him to be a sinner. Now, Jesus never was a sinner. He never sinned once. But once God declares him to be so, then he could die for the sins of the world. Just like God declares you to be righteous, even though you've never done a righteous good work perfectly, you are declared through faith in Jesus Christ. But Isaiah is talking about, obviously, the crucifixion where Yahweh, the Lord, has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. To such a level, what were the words of Jesus? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 7 explains, he was oppressed. He was afflicted. He, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's something he did before Pontius Pilate. He didn't make excuses for the charges against him. He did not argue his case. Pontius Pilate was really surprised at that. But he was doing the fulfillment of the Father's will. He was taking upon himself our sins and dying for them. And he was silent over that. If that isn't what was happening, boy, you really need to read more about the gospel writers. By oppression, verse 8, and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Now, the ESV has a question mark over that. And so they're taking the Hebrew to mean, uh, are you sure that you understand what is going on? The New American Standard also has a question. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. And that stroke, of course, was the cross. Do you understand that, Isaiah is saying? Kind of goes back to that first verse. Who believed what he has heard from us? Because if he's the arm of the Lord, how come he's so weak? And of course, Isaiah is explaining this. This probably was a primary passage Jesus used with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who 
had heard he had risen, knew that he had been crucified, but they were totally confused and they were depressed. But by taking a look at the Old Testament Jesus led them through, I'm sure he used Isaiah 53 to help them to understand the true purpose of the crucifixion. Now we get even more specific with verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. Well, that's referring to the two thieves on the cross. They were all buried. And with a rich man in his death. Why rich man? Well, that's referring to none other than Joseph of Arimathea. Remember, he and Nicodemus had gone to Pontius Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus after he had died. And they laid him in a new tomb meant for Joseph of Arimathea. And he was a rich man. He's even spoken about being a rich man. And so he was put to death also with two thieves. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, all you have to do is go back to Pontius Pilate, who washed his hands, saying, I I can't find this man as uh, guilty. He's done nothing wrong. But, of course, some of the Jewish leaders said, if you don't crucify him, we're going to go to Caesar and tell him that you think that Jesus is more important than Caesar. And so, in a sense, he crucified Jesus. And if you were there, there was no way that as a disciple, you would have come to the conclusion, well, this is the will of the Lord that's going on here. No, this was a terrible misfortune. But listen to verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. I kind of like the King James. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, this is referring back to the before the creation of the world, when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made the decision that the second person of the Trinity would become a human being, be put to death, so that not only he would rise from the dead and prolong his days, but the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What, what does that mean? Well, what is the will of the Lord? To save you. And because of Jesus Christ, you will be saved as you believe the promises of the gospel. For he died for your sins. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous 
and he shall bear their iniquities. Boy, we're getting back to Abraham. Abraham believed the promise of God that his wife, way past childbearing age, would bear a son called Isaac. And because of that faith, he was accounted righteous. He was declared to be righteous. Because Jesus bears his iniquities. So even before the death and resurrection of Jesus, those who believe that promise, such as Abraham, are saved, which means you also are saved because Jesus bore your sins. Verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall devoid, uh, divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you need to have that explained if you understand what the gospel writers have said? When did he make intercession for the transgressors? He did that on the cross. One of the words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Therefore, because of his bearing the sin of many, which means the whole world, going back to Genesis, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Well, how does that save us? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but be saved. So even though he poured out his soul to death, even though from the point of view of many individuals at that time, he was numbered with the transgressors. And that term numbered simply means that he was counted, he was reckoned, he was assigned to be a transgressor. Because if he was not a transgressor, why would he die for our sins? Very, very important, this last verse in Isaiah 53, because it really indicates the purpose of that holy week. Beginning with Palm Sunday, he came into Jerusalem not in order to be declared a victorious king and get rid of the Romans and restore Israel to its former grandeur. No, he entered into Jerusalem in order to die and be buried. And of course, rise on the third day which even though he told the disciples, they had a problem with what Isaiah is saying here. As Isaiah said, who has believed what he has heard from us? Well, it's impossible for anybody to believe it. The Bible makes very clear that those who finally believe 
the meaning of the crucifixion and resurrection as Isaiah has explained it so wonderfully. They do so on the basis of the power of the Holy Spirit that gives them that faith. So who thought that I, Tom Baker, on Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, would choose a passage from the Old Testament. And this is just one of a number that could have been chosen. But Isaiah, considered to be the great prophet of the Old Testament, was really able to put together what we believe about the meaning of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the final thing is, you are declared righteous because Jesus was declared a sinner. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Wes Reimnitz, we're going to be in the studio. No, well, not in the studio. We're going to be on the air. See us then. God bless. Each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.